welcome to Tea Time Declarations, a new podcast that examines cricket and geopolitics. It's, uh, it's an indulgent journey through history and politics through the lens of cricket, and an even more indulgent journey through the history of cricket through the lens of politics, diplomacy, empire and war, all of the good stuff. Each episode, we'll look at the relevance of the theme to the present day and what's happening in the world of cricket. Tea Time Declarations is brought to you by Jonathan Russell and Paul Seligman, that's me. And for today's theme, we're looking at uh, for richer and for poorer. Uh, International investment in sport is a big topic. Golf, football, F1, could cricket be next? But how have states spent on cricket so far? And what's been the impact on cricket and on their goals? So we're talking about Saudi, aren't we, uh, when it comes to golf, football and F1. Uh, they're everywhere. Do we do we think cricket could be next? Is Saudi money coming? Well, well, I mean, maybe. And it does seem to be it does seem to happen quite, quite randomly. There are big sports that seem to have been left alone. And then there are other sports that seem to have been invested in very heavily by these states without... Uh, without any, any any sort of warning or logic from the outside, at least to those of us who aren't kind of part of the governance of these sports, so potentially cricket, yeah, cricket could be next. Cricket is a huge sport. Um, it, 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 given that India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, between them, make up about a third of the world's population, and they are almost to a person cricket mad. So there's a, obviously a huge potential market there for these. Um, for these states and yeah there's no reason at all why a big investment of cash into cricket could be next but my question there is how do I feel about it I guess I guess my answer to that is I see a huge gulf uh, no pun intended between uh, the the money that India Australia and the English Marsh Cricket Board can put into cricket and all of the other top tier and then associate nations falling behind not not able to invest at the same same level and and that's leading into to a real difference in um in quality that's coming through mm. uh, in test cricket one day cricket uh, or white ball cricket um and so if there was big saudi money would it equalize things a little or would it exacerbate that divide mm. so cricket has pro- provided an interesting example of, cr- of trickle-down economics and the way trickle-down economics doesn't work in that, like you say, the really rich boards... Well, the, I mean, it's, it's the Indian cricket set-up that is by far the richest and then Australia and England behind but with their, um, with their long history of well-set-up systems that allows them to keep up um, with India and then everyone else just nowhere. And they and they they have entrenched that position over recent years. And it, look at look at, for example, the history of World Cup winners. You know, I was thinking just earlier today. We're in the middle of the World Cup at the moment, I was thinking earlier today that Australia have won, what four out of the last six World Cups. Mm-hmm. India and England won the other two. The last time that anyone except Australia and in, in, India and England won a World Cup was Sri Lanka in 1996. So it's been a long time. 
on the other hand, on the more promising side of things, it's not like India, Australia and England have, have really run away with the game of cricket over the last 10, 15 years. Because the fact is, looking at the, looking at the World Cup now, Australia are already pretty much out. I mean, they, you know, they, they could turn things around, but they, they're having lost their first two games, they're in a tricky situation. England just lost to New Zealand. England got thumped by New Zealand. Uh, India are looking very, very strong. They have home advantage. And they seem to be peaking at the right time. But nevertheless, the, the point the point is that actually the real competitors in this World Cup and the, real, the ones who are looking really good for the World Cup are India, fine, but also South Africa and New Zealand. And they're not in that top three. So it's not like the, the big three have run away with the game over the last 20 years. So that's true. And, and, and maybe it's a little unfair to India as a, as a, as a brick, as a, as a kind of emerging economic powerhouse, um, to, to say that they are one of the big three. You know, arguably they're the success story economically in, in cricket over the last 10 years um, and have, have made it count in, in ways that they haven't in, in other parts of their economy. Um, so maybe India are the Saudi um, here, and that, um, uh, uh, and that's certainly certainly true if we look at their kind of overwhelming bet on the Indian Premier League mm-hmm. um, and how that has changed the face of cricket over the last ten years. The most recent example of of big money coming into into sport in England is is Newcastle being taken over by the Saudi. Sovereign Wealth Fund, completely separate, obviously, from the Saudi government, and we know that because they said so. Um, and my my girlfriend is a, a big Newcastle fan, and she is very she's very conflicted by it. And I understand, obviously, I tease her for being conflicted by it, um, but I completely understand. You know, she Newcastle is her beloved football club, has been since she was very small, and she what she wants to see them succeed. But on the other hand, she's not a supporter of the Saudi the Saudi political system so she's she's conflicted and I would feel exactly the same way with cricket I've been completely obsessed with cricket 24 hours a day since I was seven years old and I want to see cricket thrive and I want to see well most of all I want to see it survive but I want to see it thrive and if someone's going to pump a whole load of money into it then I will feel good about that but Mm -hmm. I will be conflicted if that money comes from somewhere else the fact that it will change the game I actually don't mind cricket's been changing and evolving forever and often quite spasmodically and quite quickly you know I mean 2020 cricket was invented in 2003 and by 2009 it had completely taken over the world and I think we can all agree that it's been a positive for the world not universally but in terms of cricket it's it's saved cricket financially yeah if if Saudi money came and instead went towards the West Indies, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, to to try and bring them up to the level of India, Australia, England. Yeah, I was thinking more Northamptonshire. Oh, Northamptonshire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 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 Huge Saudi buyout. <laughs> Just Saudi buys the northeast on football and cricket. Um, I mean, I think that would be great. Can you? I mean, who who would they sign? Who would, who would what be would the, be the product yeah, of it? Who would be would the, you, the would Ronaldo? You... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're going to get him Babar Azam coming and playing for Northampton. You roll out Mitchell Stark on a T and Trent Bolt on T20 contracts to play for play for Durham. 
at the riverside. I mean, great. That'd be excellent, wouldn't it? It'd be really, really good. I mean, the the other option, I suppose, would would for Saudi to follow the the Wrexham model of Ryan Reynolds, and and choose one of the minor counties. And, and try to see them all the way through to the top tier. Well, so we're talking you know, about Bedfordshire. We're talking about Bedfordshire Cornwall. replacing Yorkshire in Div 1 of the county championship, thanks to big uh, PIF money. Um, sure, okay, PIF. But if, if we're looking at the Wrexham model, then actually we're looking at, um, at one of the, the Bollywood stars, aren't we? Yeah. Taking over... Taking, <laughs> yeah, taking over... Berkshire Cricket Club, and and you know that's a nice pivot to uh, America, right? And and Major League Cricket, because some of the big money for Major League Cricket has come from Silicon Valley venture capitalists. Um, one of the the big backers of the wonderfully named San Francisco Unicorns <laughs> is an Indian chap who went to Stanford um, and uh, was upset that there wasn't any cricket for him to play or watch at normal hours in, in America when he was in California. And so uh, he, he, he decided to, to contribute to, to the movement and ignite cricket in the US. This is a chap called Anand uh, Rajaraman who left India to study at Stanford, wondered whether he was leaving behind his, his beloved sport for good and, uh, and, uh, and kind of turned his back on it for a while, became a highly successful entrepreneur and then co-owned uh, the unicorns. Um, how, how did they go? Uh, the unicorns did not do very well this time round. Um, oh, but um, but I mean, I I think this is a drop in the pond for for Mr. Raja Raman because his uh, his startup was acquired by Amazon for two hundred and fifty million dollars. So. I think yeah. he's. I think he's got a few spare. I mean, I don't know how I feel about about me. There's there's a, there's a big part of of me that as a, as an England fan, and and while I while I personally follow Surrey and Middlesex as my two, my, my my kind of counties, um, I'm really an England fan. And as an England fan, I just worry that someone's going to come along and just start beating everyone. You know, I, li- I, I like mm. the status quo where England can beat anyone and England can potentially lose to anyone as well. And obviously the fear is that the USA cricket team is going to come from nowhere over the next decade and just just take over the world. But it seems unlikely to happen. It hasn't happened in any other sport. What's exciting about, I think, about the US pivot to cricket, and it seems like a more successful pivot than, than they'd managed before. You know, they, they had, in 2004, a T20 professional league called Pro Cricket folded after one season. Um so, so this, this feels like a, a slightly more successful go. But what's exciting about it, I think, is the West Indies in the US are co-hosting the next the T20 next World Cup. Cup. Yeah. Um, Los Angeles is the host city for the 2028 Olympics, mm-hmm. of which T20 cricket will be a sport. Yep. For the first, not for the first time, but returning, I think. Yep. Um, and, and that does feel like a sea change. It feels like getting cricket to more countries absolutely is a good thing I, I would agree certainly that getting cricket to more countries is is a good thing and then looking at the paradigm and looking at you know my stupid fear about you know a, a new dominant force in 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 world cricket well the football world cup was in in the usa in 1994 when the usa sort of almost barely had a football team it was it wasn't quite as bad but it was almost like giving it to qatar 
and in the subsequent years i mean football has become soccer has become a huge thing in america but the american football teams the women's football team won two world cups in a row um but they're not the dominant force they're not some kind of invincible mm. juggernaut and obviously the men's football team is still kind of mid-table yeah. so yeah this is not this is not a sign of the end of all things and so you know as i grow older and less uh, reactive i i find myself more and more interested in this i also think that the you know again looking at the current cricket world cup it really suffers from a, a lack of participants you know i mean it's partly done on purpose and it's a real shame that, that the likes of Ireland and unbelievably the West Indies are not there and because of the way the tournament was was set up. Um, but the fact is that the pool of top countries, countries who can play each other in a sensible way, is very, very small. You know, it's 12, 15 countries who can who can really give each other a game. And um, and that's and it's the same in rugby, with the Rugby World Cup going on at the same time. It's the same. Rugby suffers mm. from a lack of a lack of diversity in its. But base. cricket is worse. Yeah, it is worse. Cricket is worse. You've seen there it. are You've... ten countries that have qualified for this World Cup for a tournament that lasts an unspeakable amount of time. That's Six weeks, I think. Right. And I mean, I regularly play two cricket matches, two fifty over cricket. Well, not fifty. I play regularly play two forty over cricket matches day right. in two days. I don't see why the professionals can't do it. That's and there, what I am. and there are ten teams in it. In the Rugby World Cup, also going on at the moment, there are twenty teams. Yeah. Four groups of five countries. Yeah. In the Football World Cup, there are thirty-two. Well, I mean, football is really the only global sport. It is a global sport. Mm. But in, if you're looking at the Rugby World Cup. Actually, there is a question mark over whether some of those teams should be there. You know, when you've got, when you've got, you know, Romania just being battered and Namibia just being battered by everyone, there is a question of like, eh, you know, this isn't really a game. And then you've got yes. you've got one of the best players in the world having his head knocked off by a Uruguayan player and potentially missing the rest of the tournament. But it only takes one. And so, when Fiji beat Australia and then Portugal beat Fiji, that's the corollary. Yes. And the rise of Fiji and the rise of uh, sorry. The rise of uh, Portugal and the rise of Georgia and the rise of Samoa, who probably should have beaten England, mm-hmm. um, is a really good thing for the sport. It's a really good thing for the sport that, apparently, uh, as far as you can see, despite world rugby's plans, um, these countries are coming up on the rail and, and they're doing it themselves. And they, you know, the, the, the more countries there are, the more interesting a sport it is. And cricket is running into a problem because countries that were in the World Cup before are no longer in the World Cup. Countries like the UAE are no longer qualifying for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, and meanwhile, the, the governing body seems to be hell-bent on excluding other countries from it. Yeah. And, um, so I do wonder whether the Olympics might change the dynamic there. There's, um, well, there's five years till the Olympics. That's long enough for any country that wants to to start investing now to get to a position to be a top 20 country in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And and it needn't be men. They uh, following women. the American football model, American soccer, soccer model. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be prioritizing the women's team because um, it's going to be both. Um, but uh, it does present an opportunity. And, and it was said um, of China some years back that if cricket ever got into the Olympics that would change the dynamics for the sport in China 
um, and and China qualifying for a World Cup of cricket, uh, or sorry, China qualifying for a World Cup or cricket being part of the Olympics would um, would be a huge huge mm. thing to to spark interest and to to maybe tempt franchise cricket, even T10 cricket, to to China to mm. to, to mm. start investment. Um, and they have tried before, so. Cricket was included at the 2010 Asian Games in uh, Rangzhou, and um, the Chinese women's team came fourth. So, you know, not not dreadful. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't get bronze though, did they? They didn't get bronze. <laughs> who, won, um, who won? I assume that was India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Who won? I don't know. I don't know. We can look that up. We can look that up. Yeah. Um, but we pledged to talk not just about cricket, but yeah, also yeah, exactly the, the, the relationship <laughs> between cricket and geopolitics. And and so I guess we, we talked about Saudi investment and uh, we can think about sports washing and why Saudi might want to invest in, in football, F1, golf and perhaps cricket in the future. Um, it seems to me that Indian investment in cricket is is partly because it's it's the um, front running religion in India, and it's um, uh, I mean, the Modi is 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 not averse to to using religion to to drive his agenda, and uh, I think by naming the mammoth Ahmedabad Stadium after himself, um, he he recognises that cricket is the most popular. Yeah, I mean, this is, this sports watching has affected me directly. Uh, for the first time because I'm just about to go off to Sri Lanka for a holiday and um, we were going to see if we could pop across for the World Cup final see if we could get some tickets and pop across the World Cup final but it's in Ahmedabad which mm. doesn't have an international airport so yeah. it means that we can't you know, and, and, and you know looking into the reasons as to why it's not in Mumbai for example or Delhi and, and the reason is simple it's because of the name of the stadium mm. that's what it comes down to and so you know there have been huge problems with Ahmedabad people not being able to get in people not being able to get flights to get into Ahmedabad in time for the World Cup final and there's a huge accommodation problem as well and all because you know all because the, 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 the egotistical president wants the, the, the World Cup final to be in the stadium that bears his name and it only bears his name because he insisted that it did well presumably he wanted to rival the, the stadium in Lahore uh, which is the no? Gaddafi Stadium. <laughs> I can't believe I remember. I can't believe. It. I can't believe that. Oh. Um, and so, I mean, you know, that's part of this discussion. Presumably, um, you know, Muammar Gaddafi was was buying influence, and uh, and it was a symbol, at the very least, of of the shared um the shared successes of the two nations pakistan Libya. Yeah, exactly. yeah and, and, and the friendship between them i mean that, that was probably more political than financial mm. yeah although the two the two are unnecessarily intertwined that's the essence of of sports washing it's a political move it's a diplomatic move and you could probably update you could one day soon you might be able to update Clausewitz's thing and say that sport is a, 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 a an extension of politics by other means yeah, well, I, and I mean, China is the is the to bring it full full circle is is the interesting case study on this as well, because despite not having any any successful or grassroots cricket really to talk of, um, 
in 2007 alone, China spent a remarkable $132 million on cricket facilities. And where? And where? Where did they spend money on cricket facilities? They spent it in the West Indies. Um, Now, just to put that into context, the ICC's published 10-year budget of that time was $70 million. So China doubled that spending just on infrastructure and just on the West Indies on a sport that they know little about nor care much about. I mean, for example, they gave Antigua alone $55 million grant to build the Sir Vivian Richards Stadium. I wouldn't be surprised if Antigua is as far away from China as you can get in the world. Pretty much. It's almost exactly the opposite side of the world. Absolutely. Uh, uh, And if it's not, then Jamaica will be because they gave $30 million to Jamaica for a stadium there. Um, St. Lucia has a cricket and a football stadium, courtesy of Beijing. I mean, it's it's absolutely nuts. That is mad. And the fact is, it also didn't work. I mean, like, it worked. You, you can wonder what China's um, political motives were for putting that money into these small countries. Well, I can tell you. So China's cricket diplomacy led two West Indian countries, Grenada and Dominica, de-recognising Taiwan as an independent country. Um, now... Of the remaining 24 countries that recognise Taiwan, four are in the Caribbean and two of these play cricket. So maybe, maybe some more money is coming. Um, but, you know, just, just for to be even-handed, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing the both sides thing, but Granada had one stadium built by Taiwan. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, saw it flattened by a hurricane and China ran in and erected a second one. <laughs> That's mad. Um, and, and actually that led to some prolonged court proceedings because Taiwan took Granada to a New York City court to force the latter to return the original loan. Wow. So, you know, c- cricket as a, as a... Spending on cricket as a source for influence, I think, is, a, is an interesting one. Um, I mean, it's just the quantum involved, the hundreds of millions of dollars involved yeah. in spending on a, a sport that, you, that your country doesn't actually care about. And, and I mean, China's broader play is, is getting smaller countries into debt and data traps. Um, and, and so, you know, what, what they do, not just building infrastructure, but, but literally loaning, loaning poor countries throughout Africa uh, money to, to, to buy influence and to prolong that influence by, um, uh, by putting them in debt. Is is I'm sure part of the part of the play here as well as the more immediate, de-recognised Taiwan thing. Mm-hmm. Well, they should put some money into cricket in Africa because thinking about countries that no longer play in play in the World Cup, I think CAR, Central African Republic, played at one point, didn't they? Kenya, <laughs> Namibia. Kenya were class. Yeah, they were great. They took England quite close at one point. Yeah. I think in 1999. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously Namibia, Zimbabwe. I mean, Zimbabwe cricket is a a tragedy. Yeah. A tragic tale. Well, we should um, we should talk about Zimbabwe and South Africa and the tragedy in both those two countries mm-hmm. um, as regards cricket um, and their history in another episode. Yeah. Although having watched having watched Quentin de Kock smashing Australia all over the place yesterday and they <laughs> South Africa still got a way to go. Let them come off the peak first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, should we try and get back on topic? Yes, well, um, may- maybe let's bring it closer to home. Um, do, do we think, and now it's not 130 million on infrastructure, but do we think the ECB has spent its money wisely? 
um, over the last decade, two decades. Well, two. Let's go two decades because that was the advent of twenty twenty cricket. Yeah, I mean, you, you might think, dear listener, whoever you are, you might think by my voice, my slightly sort of Prince Philip after his car accident voice, that uh, I would hate twenty twenty cricket and all innovation in cricket and. That, I would consider the committing of innovation and anything that happened after you know the Eng- English gentleman played the Scottish gentleman in the 1870s to be um, modernisation unwelcome. But 2020 cricket is... I, I love 2020 cricket. I, I worship it. It's also because I think it saved cricket. If you look at... Let's take a, let's ch- Chester the Street or Taunton. Taunton's, a, even, uh, Taunton's a, a, a bad example. Actually, let's take a test ground, Trent Bridge... If you look at Trent Bridge um, back in 2000 or 1995, how many sellout days did Trent Bridge have in a, in a season? Um, just the test match day? Test match, maybe one, maybe a one-day international. Yeah. So six days sure. or five or four if the test match didn't last that long. Yeah. Uh, now and after 2003, it's, they have a, at least eight sellout evenings a season when the, when the blast is going on. And now with the 100, they have they have more now we can discuss the hundred in a moment and whether it was necessary spending but the fact is that very short form cricket same capacity um turns out same capacity for beer (laughs) just just in in three hours (laughs) rather than eight hours (laughs) you know i've seen you know you've seen that party atmosphere that happens at at these these cricket grounds and it was unknown before i mean you know Un- unknown before before 2003 and so it, it, it saved it but they to think that England could have had the 2020 league in the world because they had first mover advantage and they were they, they, yeah. but they just they lost it so quickly yeah they completely lost their grip on it and 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 making money wasn't just the ECB's aim on this their their aim was to bring cricket to a new generation and to new places um Arguably, they've achieved that as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is... Um, it's, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint, pinpoint causes, but there are more people playing cricket and uh, and younger people more interested in cricket than than before. Um, so, you know, long may, long may that continue. Mm. But I suppose um, the question is whether the ECB needs to continue doing this when... Uh, when you can watch T20 franchise leagues around the world, and you can you can interest young audiences in the UK, even if they don't have a, a local county to go and support. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that 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 the ECB has been innovative in its spending and in its gathering of money. So gathering money with 2020, um, spending money with central contracts. They were an ECB idea. You know, mm-hmm. So it has had these. It has had these very good ideas, but. My God, it's tripped over a few times, hasn't it? And I, I, it, it's hard now, looking at the way the 100 went this summer, it's hard to think they haven't tripped over again. Yeah. The 100. You know, I, I had no problem with the 100. Uh, no, well, no, I did. Exactly. I had no problem with the 100 as a, as a thing, as a spectacle. I have no problem with it. I remember Michael Vaughan, after the first match of the 100, which was, you know, a sellout and a great party and things like that. And I remember him gloating on... on social media saying about you know well you know all the naysayers need to go home now and it's like no 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 no. i love cricket <laughs> i will watch cricket in almost any form 
I once sat in a bar in Gaul that overlooked a field <laughs> on which about a hundred Sri Lankan guys were playing cricket. And I loved it because it was cricket. I'll watch cricket in any form. The question in my mind was whether it was worth the £50 million that the ECB spent on it and whether that money couldn't have been spent more usefully on things that already existed. Mm. Uh, and so and now with you know top players refusing to come to the 100 because A, the money isn't good enough, B, it's not going to help them in their careers in the long term because the, the 100 World Cup is not on the horizon at any point, um, and C, because it gives them a good opportunity to take a rest from their constant tour of franchise cricket around the world. Um, you know, looking at that situation now, one wonders whether the 100 has much longer to run. Mm-hmm. Now, was there some Machiavellian plan to sneak in fran- franchise cricket by the back door into the into, in, in, into England maybe maybe in 10 years time when we're on episode 1000 um, <laughs> we'll, um, we'll we'll praise them for that and, and forget about what I've said now but, so there's a there's a third metric that the ECB should be judged by so the first is the ability to make money the second is uh, the ability to inspire young people to play but the third is the success of the national team and it seems to me that uh, that's another area where the ECB failed initially because while promoting T20 cricket through the blast and being the first mover, they then were closed off to their players going to, to join foreign leagues mm. um, in a way that, that really held back English cricket, lost some, some talent um, and, and caused a lot of internal strife, I think. Um, it seems... Now that by relaxing that and by by having players flying all over the world to to play as they see fit and to to make a pretty penny doing so, um, there's a happier group of players, and nas- the national side has been reframed as being the pinnacle because there's now so much franchise cricket, and it's a given that you can make money playing it, that you do need something extra and something special that can only be delivered by playing for your country. Yeah, and it seems like the English team is in a good place now as a as a result of that. But I'd argue that that's more by accident than by design from the ECB. Yeah, I mean, the management of situations is always partly accident and part, partly design. Um, the, 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 the frustrating thing for us as, as, as England fans is that England never seems to be able to crack all three forms at the same time and, and they do seem now to have at least done that at least for, for now but the success of the England cricket team has actually not been bad no you know we as England well and England had a good pandemic as well because England had enough depth to be able to play two parallel yeah, teams yeah remember they played Pakistan and absolutely thumped them with yeah. basically a second 11 and the, and the first 11 captain and, and that does seem to have led to uh retained change yeah. in in having more distinct never more than two format players mm, sure uh, which allows for more specialization and has allowed for all three teams to, to excel yeah. so I, th- I think that the the we as England fans have a, have a tendency to think that that, that woe, woe is us because uh, you know we get knocked out in the semi-final here and we only manage to draw the ashes there and things like that but actually if you were a a South African cricket fan, you know, you would you take that, <laughs> you take that every time. We're spoiled as England fans in almost every sport in expecting to um, 
and expecting to win or at least be there or thereabouts all the time. And actually, really, since the mid-90s, England have been there or thereabouts most of the time. There have been times when they've been knocked out in the group stage of the World Cup, like they were in 1999 and 2015. But there, you know, in the, in the interim, they've won two, two um, uh, T20 World Cups and won 50 over World Cup and won the Ashes several times and things like that. So we are gloomy about it. Uh, I think it's just natural national pessimism, really. And, and maybe on that pessimism, we should bring this first episode of Tea Time Declarations to a close. Bit of a ramble, wasn't it? Well, we 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 had a whistle stop tour through global investment strategies, geopolitical aims, and the uh, the effects on the sport that we love. So I think for next time, what we're going to do is we're probably going to start digging a little deeper into the individual episodes in which money has uh, has has made its influence felt in cricket. So probably the the Alan Stanford affair, which mm. is a fascinating episode in English cricket row, which I don't know a huge amount, so I'm looking forward to, to discussing that and a few yeah. other bits and pieces. Why and other 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 cowboys from cricket's history. Uh, you know the the Kerry Packer spin off series mm. I think is worth worth thinking about. Maybe even uh, Sir Paul Getty and his efforts to try and break through into the cricketing establishment in the UK. Um, so yeah, Cricket's Cowboys may be a, an upcoming episode. Uh, but for now, that is uh, that is episode one of Tea Time Declarations. Please uh, like, subscribe and follow uh, this podcast so that you can be alerted to the next episode. And we have a Twitter page at Tea Declarations. Uh, so follow us there and tell us uh, what you would like to hear about so we can make more episodes in the future. Great. Uh, great. And goodbye.